thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. You feeling all right, everyone? Good, excellent. Um, I'm very excited about uh, what's coming up in the next few weeks for us as a church. Uh, we, we as a church, we celebrate our fifth, like every five years, you know, we have a big splash uh, on the anniversary thing. We don't do it every year, but we do it every five years. So obviously last one was the 35th and this one is the 40th. So I really encourage you to, to be a part of that whole weekend, the 19th and the 20th of October. In fact, at the Vision Gatherings this week, I'm going to talk a little bit more about what's going to be happening over that weekend and also some bigger stuff uh, around the future. And there's a few surprises for you at the Vision Gathering as well. So you don't want to miss that this week. There's a saying that says, curiosity killed the cat. Well, in, in our house... Uh, many years ago, curiosity killed the guinea pig. Well it, well, it didn't actually, but it almost did. And some of you know this story. Our youngest son, Simeon, who we love him to bits. He's got very complex learning disability and special needs and autism. And when he was a little lad, I mean, he's always loved uh, animals, always loved animals. And so when he was a little lad and he was at home, he's in residential care now. Um, but when he was at home, we, we bought him a guinea pig. And um, his curiosity just got the better of him. And he had this guinea pig and it was in this kind of hutch and with all the sawdust. And one day uh, as I came back from work and, and, and I noticed the guinea pig was up the corner of the hutch and was shaking and looked petrified. And the sawdust was all in a big pile in the other side of the hutch. And I thought, what? what's going on with the guinea pig? And, uh, and I said to Simeon, Simeon, the guinea pig? And Simeon just said these words, guinea pigs don't fly. And what we realized that, that Simeon had done is he'd taken the guinea pig out of the hutch and he'd stood on, on, on like a, the, the settee and he'd, he'd held the guinea pig as high as he could and then he'd put all the sawdust in, in, a, in like a, a pile and then he'd drop the guinea pig to see if it could fly and of course it doesn't fly. And so then a few weeks later, uh, again came in from work and there was water everywhere in the bathroom. And the guinea pig was in the corner of the hutch shaking and very wet. And I said, Simeon, the guinea pig. And he said, guinea pigs don't swim. So he had filled up the sink and to try, and his curiosity, and I thought one of these days I'm going to come back and Simeon's going to say, and guinea pigs don't microwave. But he didn't, he didn't, okay. And I want to tell you, the guinea pig was okay. And eventually we thought for his own protection, we gave the guinea pig to somebody else, okay, who looked after the guinea pig. But it was his curiosity that didn't kill something. You see, curiosity doesn't kill stuff. Curiosity actually gives life. It's how we were created and designed to be. It's why Jesus often says that if you have faith, you should have childlike faith. Not childish faith, but childlike faith. Where actually, if you have faith like a child, then what means is you live curiously. You, you live openly, you live questioningly, you open up, you dream, you wonder, you think there's more than I've experienced. You don't live it as if you've got life all sorted out. And you see, life begins when we begin to live curiously. The beauty of curios curiosity is this, is I think curiosity means asking questions. You know, adults can be embarrassed or afraid of asking questions, but kids aren't. Curiosity means you, you, you demonstrate empathy. You're not, you don't have to be the hero in every one of your stories. It means you're desiring growth. You know, I, I read a statistic recently which freaked me out and went against everything that I believe as a human being. The statistics, I can't say that word. The stat said that around 70% of people do not ever want to really learn or grow. 
And I thought, that cannot be right. You know, because that's not how we're created to be. We're created to be curious. Uh, but, but, you know, in that growth, it also means that, that curiosity means sometimes we need to embrace uncertainty. You know, the older I've got, the more I think I know and the more questions I think I have. And some things that I used to be really certain about when I was young and they were black and white and this and that. And actually now as I'm older, I'm thinking, do you know what? There's a little bit more grey and that's okay. Because actually what it means is that in that exploration, we're embracing uncertainty. But at the same time, children learn to trust. So we don't know the answer to every question, but we learn to trust and we grow in that. The absence of curiosity most of us, you know, I think we act as if it's more important to make a living than it is to live a life. I want to say, if you know Jesus or not, you're not here on this planet just simply to make a living. You're here on this planet to live a life. And God wants you and I to live a life. But I think life begins when we live, not just deeply, not just generously, not just confidently, but when we live curiously. When we live curiously, almost like children do. And if I was to tell you, you, you know, because I talk about it a bit, I, I read a lot of books, try and read three or four books a month. And, and, and over the years, I've read hundreds and hundreds of books. If I was to say my top 10 books of all time, this book would be in the top 10. It's a book by a guy called Mike Iaconelli, and it's called Dangerous Wonder. And if ever you want to get a book, please get that book. Mike Iaconelli is, is not alive anymore. He had a car accident many years ago. But this is an incredible book. And it's about curiosity. It's about childlike faith. It's about embracing uncertainty. And in the book, he says this. He says, dullness is more than a religious issue. It is a cultural issue. Our entire culture has become dull. Dullness is the absence of the light in our souls. Look around. We've lost the sparkle in our eyes, the passion in our marriages, the meaning in our work and the joy of our faith. He goes on to say, we've lost touch with our souls. We've been nourishing our minds, our relational skills, our theological knowledge, our psychological well-being and our physiological health, but we have abandoned our souls. And I want to implore you today, guys, as we come up to our 40th as a church, you know, when you're 40, you settle down and you're like middle-aged and that's great. We mature, but in maturing, let's not use, lose our curiosity. Let's not lose that childlike faith of wanting to explore and dream and question. Because if we do, we will replace it with dullness. And dullness is never going to change our world. It really isn't. And so the challenge of curiosity is this. How do you stay curious in the space between your understanding and your experience? And I'm going to hit on some issues this morning that I believe will, will be relevant to many of us in the room, to those of us that are watching or listening online. And you're going to find it difficult because in the confronting some of these issues, we've got to get to grips with some uncertainty and be able to embrace uncertainty and still trust in who Jesus is. Here's my big idea this morning. When you're hungry for God, no question is wrong. When you're hungry for God, no question is wrong. And we want to be a church that really encourages people to question. But you're questioning out of a sense of, I'm hungry for God. I've got curiosity and I want to know God and I want to know more about who He is. And so I want to look at them, uh, Peter. 
one of the early apostles, one of the early leaders of the early church um, that Jesus set up, one of the followers of Jesus. And I'm going to look at two instances in Peter's life when he was really messed with in his head and then later in his heart. The first one is when God messes with your head. And before we just go to the scripture, I just need to set it up. In Acts chapter 10, which is where we're going to go, um, Peter has this uh, interaction with a guy called Cornelius. And Cornelius is not a Jew. Cornelius is what we call a Gentile. That's anybody that's not a Jew. But Cornelius was being intrigued and he was curious about the Christian faith. He was curious about Jesus. And all of a sudden, this clashed with Peter and it messed with his head. Because for them, you see, they were brought up in such a Jewish mindset, such a narrow mindset, that for them, anything good that was going to come from God was only for them. It wasn't for other people. And then one day when he was at Cornelius' house, Peter had a vision of, of a sheet that came down out of heaven and covering on the sheet was a whole load of food and animals. But the problem was some of these were unclean in their Jewish culture and in their religion. And all of a sudden he was being invited to eat something that he's always been told since he was a little Jewish boy that he shouldn't eat. And God messed with his head. Let's read it together. Acts chapter 10. Peter told them, you know it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. And it's like what happened here was that that Peter was saying, I've had these red lines drawn that like you guys are, that's fine. You guys it's not. So I'll do this, but I won't do that. And he says, but God has messed with my head. Let's go on and read a little bit more. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Lord of all. Now, now, now let me just explain how, how big this is for Peter. This is like God messing with his head and saying, do you know all those lines you had? All those people who were in and people who were out. All that, forget it. Basically, when I've come, I've come and I'm pouring out my spirit on everyone. This is big. This is like, this is like saying to a Liverpool supporter, you're going to become a Man United supporter. Okay, Andy? You're all right with that? You received that this morning? It's a bit, little bit like saying, you know, as a Villa supporter, I'm going to follow Blues. It's a little bit like saying, if you're a Brexiteer, you're going to go to Remain. I'm only joking. Some of you went all quiet in the room. It's basically these lines that we draw and we say, I'm this and you're that and this is what I believe and this is what you believe. God said, hey, come on, let's be curious. God messes with his head. And then to prove that it's God, this is what happens next. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles' One of the things I love about church and one of the things I love about this church is that the Holy Spirit is being poured out on all kinds of people. Don't you like that? And listen, I was brought up in church. I was brought up quite religiously. Not by my parents, they were amazing, but I was brought up in a religious structure. And we were brought up a little bit kind of isolationist and a little bit like we've got it and and we were a little bit wary of others. But actually, I love this church because God is pouring out His Holy Spirit on all kinds of people. And it messes with your head, doesn't it? When God pours out his spirit on certain people and God uses certain people and God touches certain people and God messes with our head because he wants our heart. 
And he messes with our head and he wants us to stay open. He wants us to stay curious. And, and I think it's a real, real challenge. Let me give you some practical expression of this. When you live curiously, you have a growth rather than a fixed mindset. If you have a growth mindset, you're always wanting to learn. You're always willing to grow and to learn. You, you know, you don't think that you've got it all figured out. You know, experience does not equate with wisdom or with maturity. Just because you're more experienced only means one thing. You're older. Because you're experienced only means you're older. Experience only translates to wisdom or maturity when it is evaluated and applied experience. So what did I learn from that? What would I do differently? How should I do it in the next situation? That's when experience means you grow older. But many people have a fixed mindset where we think we know it all and then we don't grow. But curiosity has an open growth mindset. It also means you are open to feedback. And that's, can I tell you, my, my, my experience of this as a, as a Christian leader and you know, you know, over many, many years now is that actually we're not very open to feedback. We're not very open for, in fact, when we do get feedback, we get defensive or we push it back. But when you're curious, you say, really? You see that in me? Tell me more. Help me understand. What's it like to be on the other side of me? Ever ask that question to your husband or your wife or your friend? You know, why don't you just try it right now to the servants that next to you? What's it like to be on the other side of me? And that, Whoa, that's a scary question. It's an open question. It's a question of curiosity. You know, can I just pause and say this? People sometimes say, oh, that's great advice, but my situation is unique. Let me just tell you, your situation is not unique. You are unique, but your situation's not. And when we say, oh, that's great advice, that's really good, but my situation is unique, what we're actually saying is this, that's really good advice, but I don't want it. And we're pushing away. You don't understand. My no, 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 I do understand. You're unique. Your situation's not unique. You just don't want to hear the feedback. You don't want to learn. You don't want to grow. When, you, when you've got a curiosity kind of mindset, you, you don't let your past determine your future. You're not constrained by your family of origin or your culture or your preference or your personality. You also, you don't let the, you don't let the kind of, uh, you don't let your pride stand in the way of wonder and new experiences. When you're hungry for God, no question is wrong. Which is why if this morning you, you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're not sure you believe in God, the Alpha course that we run here is exactly for you. It's, in fact, it's, it's again tomorrow night, Monday night. It's only week two, so it's not too late for you to jump in tomorrow night. And Simon and the team do an amazing job of communicating the Christian faith and then giving you lots of space to ask questions, to be curious. And no question is wrong. No question is, is off limits. You can ask whatever question you want. In fact, because I'm not there, ask really hard questions. Would you do that? Really, really tough ones. That would be amazing. But then in that space of opening up questions, you will be amazed at what God can do. So when God messes with your head, that's a challenge. But here's maybe the big one. What about when life messes with your heart? What about when experiences of life really mess with your heart? How do you stay curious then? How do you stay open then? How do you stay trusting in a like a child would do that? There comes a moment for the early church that changes everything. It's a moment of intense pain where questions are many and where their faith is tested to the limit. And we're going to go now to Acts chapter 12. And in this, and in this chapter, a very big chapter, 
This is a chapter where the persecution uh, uh, of uh, the authorities has grown so intense that one of the, that James, who's the leader of the church, is taken into prison along with Peter. This is what happens in Acts chapter 12. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, that's John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guards of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. Just give you a bit of background. Herod is mentioned here. Um, you know, if, you, if you're expecting a kid or whatever, or you want to think of babies' names, you know, I'm going to have to dedicate them, or one of us will. Herod's not a great name because none of the Herods were great in the Bible, okay? So this Herod here is the grandson of Herod the Great at the time of the birth of Jesus, who had all the babies killed. He's the nephew of Herod Agrippa, who had John the Baptist killed. Herod's not a great name. If you want to pick that name for your kid, that's fine. Okay, but Herod's in the Bible, not a great name. Basically, this Herod, he's so obsessed with power that when he sees that what he does gains popularity with the people, he does it even more. He's not driven by conviction, he's driven by celebrity, he's driven by power, he's driven by the need of approval in the ratings and all of that stuff. And then when he takes James uh, 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 and Peter into prison, the Bible says that, the, that James is beheaded, but they're praying earnestly for Peter. And the word earnestly is the same word that's used to describe the prayer that Jesus prays just before he's crucified, when he's in a garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying that God the Father would release him from this really difficult thing. And he's literally, the word earnestly, he's praying so intensely that like sweat drops of blood are coming out of his head. So the church, they're not just like the little church prayer meetings that I used to know when I was a kid where three or four people were there and said the same thing and it was like, oh really, can we finish? This is killing me. Wasn't that kind of prayer meeting. This was intense and it was passionate and they were praying for the release of their friends. And one is set free and one is beheaded. Now, you tell me that doesn't mess with your heart because to me it messes with my heart and it messes with my head. And I don't understand and I have to say, I have to be honest and say as a Christian leader, there are some things and circumstances and I've been at gravesides and hospitals and in people's homes and I've said, Jesus, I do not understand what is happening here. Why would you do that that way and this happens here? I don't get it. Anyone else like me or is it just me? And these things can mess with your head and they can mess with your heart. But you know, it kind of goes on to, to, to show something else which we need to be aware of when it comes to curiosity. And that's just how curious people can be as well. Just to go back to the story. Peter finally came to his senses. So he's in prison and the angels appeared and he's been set free and released and he doesn't know whether it's a dream or that it's real. And he says, the Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders have planned to do to me. When he realised this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. What were they praying for? Praying for the release of Peter and he's been released. So he knocked at the door in the gate and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter, getting really annoyed and irritated, continued knocking when they finally opened the door and saw him. They were amazed. And I think this is quite farcical. 
isn't it? Like here's these guys who are passionately praying, sweating drops of blood. It's intense. It's passionate. They're praying for Peter to be set free. Dan, come and help me out here, will you? And then Peter, just imagine Dan's Peter. No imagination needed. Just he'll walk on water for you later as well. So this is Peter and he comes and he knocks on the door. Uh, we did it in the first service, you got it then. And, and Rhoda, I'll be Rhoda, the servant girl, okay? She comes and she opens and she sees it's Peter who they're praying for and she shuts the door in his face and goes back and carries on. And so he knocks again. Yeah, we're learning, yeah, we're learning. Thank you, you can go. And, and, and all of this, this is a crazy scene, isn't it? And it just shows that the church of Jesus Christ is both beautiful and disastrous at times. We are kind of awesome and we're awful. You know, we are human and these things happen. In fact, you know, something like the way we sang this morning, wasn't it just a great sense of God's presence and it felt powerful. And a few Sundays ago, I was on the front there standing next to Andy and we were both passionate in worship and we lifted our hands at the same time and held hands before Jesus. And it was an awkward human moment when we both looked at each other and thought, no, we're not going to do this. And, and so there's this, there's this reality where, where, where when God's presence and in God's family, things are incredible and things are messy at the same time. Does it make sense? And living curiously means that we need to learn to deal with that. So we need to learn to deal with one another when we hurt one another and when we let one another down and when we do crazy things like in that situation and we're praying passionately and then we miss the reality of what God is doing in that moment. And we need to live curiously as human beings. I wonder how many of you in this room prayed for someone you love to be healed who wasn't. Maybe some of you have prayed for someone to be healed and they were. Maybe some of you have prayed, as, as me and Alison have prayed many, many times over the years for people to have babies. It's one of the things that we are passionate about. In fact, when I was young in my 20s, I, this, I totally didn't think about this at the first service. You know, I remember praying for someone, one of the first times I'd ever prayed for someone who was barren, who couldn't have any children. and They had twins. I felt quite excited about that thing. I might have a ministry here. Do you know what I mean? But, but then I prayed for other people and they've not had kids. And I've been in situations where I've buried people's children. And I've come away thinking, God, I don't understand this. You work this way and then you don't seem to work that way. James is beheaded. Peter is set free. It messes with my head and it messes with my heart. So how do I stay open and curious and trusting and with awe and wonder and not get cynical or bitter or hard. Maybe God is messing with you at the moment or not God so much, but maybe life is messing with your heart or your head. Maybe that child that you prayed for hasn't materialised yet. Maybe that partner that you long for hasn't materialised yet. Maybe that relationship that, that is broken hasn't been mended yet. What do you do in the space in between what you believe and what you're currently experiencing. Well, what you do is you stay open and you stay curious because that's when life really begins. And I, again, I didn't say this at the first service. I thought about some of the times in my life when, when I, I, I've been messed with in my head and in my heart. Think back to the fire when I stood in the fire four years ago and, um, and, and I was one of the first ones let back into the fire and, and, I, and I went upstairs and I looked at the damage in there and how many, so many years of my life and so many memories there and all of that and, and just said, God, what are you doing? But then I remember when a friend of mine, um, 
his wife went into hospital. They lived in Ireland and a really good friend. He was a mentor of mine when I was younger. And uh, I remember when, when, when I got the call that Kerry had gone in to give birth to their second daughter and they made a mistake and put the pethidine too high in her spine and she died while giving birth to her daughter. I remember getting on a plane as soon as I could and going over and sitting with my friend and not knowing what to say and not understanding why God would allow that and why these things happen. And I'm saying that just to say this is normal. This is normal. And it can take you two directions. It can either take you cold and hard and bitter or it can make you dig deeper and say, Jesus, I don't understand everything. But what I do understand, I'm really clear about and I'm going to anchor my life in that. And I'm going to stay curious. And we're still going to pray for people to be healed because God does heal. And we're still going to pray for people to have kids because God does do that. And we're going to pray for people to find partners because God does do that. And we're going to pray for relationships to be mended because God does that. But like those three men uh, in the fire, uh, uh, you know, in an old story of Daniel in the Old Testament, and, and the king there is saying, we're going to turn the heat up if you don't renounce your faith. And they say, our God is able to do it. But if he doesn't, we'll love him anyway. And that's curiosity and it's faith and it's childlike trust. So if you are in a situation right now and something is messing with your head or messing with your heart, I want to give you two practical responses. Firstly, let it out. Let it out. If you let your pain consume you, it will define you. You know, and I'm constantly like talking with people who are, who are going through pain. Sometimes they'll say, oh, oh, I'm sorry I cried or I'm sorry I'm angry or I'm sorry I'm sad. And I want to say to them, why are you sorry? Like you've got to let your pain out. It's normal. When you lose someone or you lose something, you grieve and you get angry or you, or you, or you, get, or you get bitter or you get, or you get sad and it's okay, but don't hold it in. You've got to let it out. Because if you don't let it out, it will eat away at you. And in the letting out, then let God in. When you let that out, let God in. If you don't let God transform your pain, you will transfer your pain. And the reason I think that many of us, you know, kind of don't quite get this is because maybe this is one of the reasons why some of us, rather than dealing with our pain and letting God transform our pain, we transfer it to other places. So, so we're just so busy. Or, or we just drink so much alcohol because actually we can't deal with the pain on the inside. So we transfer it to something that makes us temporarily feel better. Or perhaps we go from relationship to relationship, from sexual encounter to sexual encounter. Or we can't stop scrolling on our screens. Or we can't stop internet shopping. Or we just can't stop filling our lives with stuff and activity because maybe there's pain on the inside that we aren't letting God transform. But curiosity stays open. And when you live curiously, you say, hey, what's going on on the inside of me? This doesn't feel healthy. This doesn't feel great. I'm going to let it out and then I'm going to let God in. You know, sometimes life doesn't make much sense even with God, does it? But you know, my belief is this. It makes no sense at all without Him. And I want to say to you, if you're not a Christian yet this morning and you're not a believer... You know, and some people say these things, and I hear these people say these things. You know, when someone dies, they say, oh, well, at least the suffering's over. At least they're at peace now. At least they're at rest now. Are they? How do you know that? If you don't believe in life after death, how on earth can you know that? But curiosity says there could be more than what we can see or experience, and we stay open to the possibility of that. And can I just say one other thing as we come into land? There's a bigger picture at work in your life and my life. 
And right at the end of Acts chapter 12, beautiful thing happens. You see Herod, Herod, this kind of guy who, who takes James and beheads him, who takes Peter and he's set free from prison. He's the big guy. He's the big dog, you know. And, and, he, and he's like, his, his ratings are really high in the polls. And towards the end, um, he gets a load of people together in the court and they all declare that he's a God and he loves it and he's proud and he puffs up his chest and God steps in, snaps his finger and takes him out. And then it says this. Meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread and there were many new believers. And it's like God's saying, hey, Herod can come. Herod will go. Rome can come. Rome can go. I, I've stood in, in places in, in this last year. I've stood in, in, in Vietnam and Cambodia, Albania, places where, where communism said in 1967, Hodger, the dictator of, of, of Albania, said, this is an atheistic country and we'll put to death all faith and religion. Hodger's gone. And meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread and there were many new believers in a very orderly British voice that we don't have anymore at the moment by the looks of it. But dear Lord, let us get it back. Because there's something bigger at work, guys. And when you're in a situation and it's messing with your head and messing with your heart, look up. God is bigger than you thought he was. And when we're at the graveside and when we're in the hospital and when we're in that awkward conversation, we have to remember that God is bigger than what we thought he was. And actually, God, if we stay curious, if we stay open, if we stay questioning, but not questioning in a negative way, questioning in a hungry for God way, then when you're hungry for God, no question is wrong. But in the middle of our hunger and our questioning, we meet with the God who is bigger than we thought he was. I want to invite the band to come back up. And in a moment, we're going to sing that song that we learned a few months ago. And I want to read some of the lyrics out of this song because I think it's so, so important. And it says this, speak to me when the silence steals my voice. You understand me. Come to me in the valley of unknowns. You understand me. And I don't know about you, but I've lived in the valley of unknown many, many times and still do. And often Ali, Alison and I will drop Simeon off and we'll drive back and we'll, we'll, we'll say, oh God, you know, why is this and what will we do with this? And we're in the valley of unknowns many times, but he understands us. And then it says this, so I throw all my cares before you. My doubts and fears don't scare you. All my questions, none of that scares you because you are bigger than I thought you were. And then there comes the childlike bit, if you like. There's like, I'll throw all these questions. I'll have all these doubts, all these fears. It doesn't scare you. But then in the middle of it all, in the middle of it all comes this. So I stop all negotiations with the God of all creation. doesn't mean I stop questioning, but I'm not negotiating. So in other words, all the red lines have gone. All the red lines have gone. I'm in. I don't get it all. I don't understand it all. But God, I am going to stop trying to negotiate with you. I am just going to trust you because you're bigger than I thought you were. You're bigger than I thought. When you're hungry for God, no question is wrong. Let's pray. And I want to invite you just now for a moment, if you could just close your eyes for a moment. Maybe if you're listening to this somewhere, unless you're driving a car, then please don't, don't close your eyes. But maybe you're watching it and maybe you're at home or somewhere. And I just want to encourage you, wherever you are, in this room or outside of this room, 
would you, would you just do something for a moment? And this is not for me, this is for you. This isn't too awkward for you. I'd love you just to put your hands out on your lap and just put your palms open and upwards. And that might feel awkward for some of us because we like to kind of clench our fists a little bit or fold our arms or put our hands in our pockets. But when you do that and you hold your hand out, that physical posture is saying, I'm open. I'm open. Jesus, I want to grow. Jesus, I want to learn. Jesus, I want to explore. I want to dream again. Jesus, I want to be curious. And Lord, in the middle of the valley of unknown that I may be in right now, God, I want to let out that pain and I want to invite you in. So all over this place, I want to invite you right now just to do that. And you name that thing and you say to God, to Jesus, this is that thing. This is that thing that's messing with my head and messing with my heart. God, I want to give it to you. I want to surrender it to you. But Lord, in the surrendering, Lord, I want to receive from you. You are bigger than I thought you were. Jesus, would you help us, I pray. And now, Lord, as we sing this incredible song, pray again, as we've said earlier on, it will be more than just singing a song, but God, this will be something that anchors us and that, and that encourages us and strengthens us in the valleys of our unknown. And we don't know what's happening, but let us remember that you are bigger than we thought you were. So Jesus, we want to surrender again to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, guys, let's stand.